Hello, welcome to Seen Them Given, the show about the laws of the game and the referees who enforce them. Uh, this week, what does it take to be promoted as a referee? We'll discuss the standards expected as refs rise through the game, who in the championship may be next in line to join the list of Premier League officials. Also this week, a referee gets hit by a missile at crew. The EFL says it's working with clubs to make sure those responsible are accountable. But why is this even a thing in 2022? And we'll look at some of the key decisions from the championship this weekend, plus four penalties awarded at Gillingham as Oxford United score seven. We'll get into that. I'm Mike McCarthy, broadcaster and football journalist, whose record from the spot was never much to write home about. With me, a man who's always been on the spot for his entire refereeing career, former FIFA referee and ex-head of the PGMOL, Keith Hackett. Uh, Keith, um, what was your record with penalties? Uh, did, we, uh-huh. did, you, uh, did you ever award four in the same game? I think the first thing is, Mike, when I awarded the penalty, it was nailed on. Uh, I never gave anything that uh, was slightly doubtful. Uh, I think that's dangerous territory. Might have missed a few if by not being in the right position because that happens in refereeing. We've talked about that in the past. I think two is the record for me. Four is incredible. I think uh, if I was the manager of the team that's given away four penalty kicks, I think I'd be asking, what are my players doing? I mean, there were some defensive shambles uh, in the in the Gillingham uh, defensive line on uh, on Saturday afternoon. Uh, having seen those back, actually, in fairness, I think they're justified those mm. four penalties as well. So uh, fair play to the referee who may, after the third one, think, "Well, I can't give any more of these," but I didn't have much choice. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, those things happen. Um, courage in terms of giving them, and um, good on him. Uh, courage is something that uh, referees are needing a lot of at the moment. I wanted to start today by discussing a, a really sad incident from the uh, the Crew Rotherham United game uh, on Saturday afternoon. This in League One, uh, the assistant referee hit by something thrown from the away end uh, where the Rotherham United fans were. We don't know what it is. To be honest, it doesn't really matter what it was, um, but the play was stopped uh, for for an awful long time while that was. Uh, dealt with. And uh, as we mentioned at the top of the show, the EFL talking about an awful number of incidents this week that are crowd related, and this being just one of them, Keith. And it seems a, a really disturbing trend at the moment. Yeah, I, I, I worry about it. I mean, you know, an assistant referee, he's got his back to the crowd, he's close to the crowd, so he's vulnerable. Um, and it is the club's responsibility here. It's the club stewards, the police. I know it's very difficult to. Uh, actually uh, stop it. But ultimately, we know that that clubs take a lot of trouble. Police take a lot of trouble in terms of filming and therefore, hopefully, they'll come up with the uh, evidence. It's a trend, Mike, that I'm really concerned about this year. I I mean, we okay, I, I can go back to the 70s when, you know, sometimes a decision went the wrong way and you get a plastic seat flying in the direction and carried on to the middle of the pitch with the wind. Um, And we were concerned at that point. I think we're getting to the stage now where I think if referees were stronger and the management of referees was stronger, I think I'd be considering and saying to the authorities, both the Football League and the Premier League, if this happens next week in a game, the referee's going to take the players off. Mm. You went to the stadium and we'll bring the players back on and play. Now, that might sound a penalty 
to the remainder of the spectators that didn't didn't throw it. But look, one man's thrown that object. You cannot believe that around that area of where that object's been thrown, others are not aware of who has thrown it. Therefore, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, it's draconian. It's a draconian measure. It's a last resort. But when a colleague gets hit, um, then, you know, this has happened before. There was a, a UEFA game where the referee was struck uh, with, with a cigarette lighter. He, he, he cut his forehead and he took them off. That was it. He didn't hesitate to take them off. So for me, I think uh, we referees have got to decide what course of action they can take. Clubs, it's easy to say. We, we know because of costing that we've seen stewards take the place of police at football grounds. I mean, I can remember when, you know, the stadium would, would, would probably have 40, 50 police uh, in and around the game. We've, we've The game's moved on, I, I agree. But it doesn't all go well, does it, when we're trying to experiment with standing uh, supporters in at one end of the game, the Premier League end, under supervision, and hoping that that comes in to get back it to where we were. And at the other end, we've got objects being thrown. I mean, I saw a game at the weekend where a smoke bomb was thrown on. That's from the 80s in UEFA, you know, European games where clubs were heavily fined by UEFA when they went through these uh, sort of areas. So, look, I think it's a trend that we don't want and it's action that we've got to take. Yeah, and it will probably be in the minds of, of many assistant referees who are running the line next weekend as well. You know, will this be me next week? And I, I just wonder what it's like, because, I mean, you've obviously you've done this, you've run the line before you, you went into the middle key. So what is it like when you're thinking in what's behind me as well as concentrating on what's going on right in front of you? The truth is, Mike, you don't, you, you know, we don't have to be fearful of that because if, if there is that fear and... I'll, that then interferes with concentration. And an assistant referee, believe me, has to be switched on 90 minutes. It might look as though it's an easy job to the normal spectator, but any time a snap shot or a snap, if you like, pass, can actually result in an offside or a goal being scored. And those, those are things that demand concentration. Plus the fact he's got one eye on the referee and he's... He's got his communication kit to contend with. So he's got a lot of uh, action and and ability to be able to cope with that. But from behind, that's the authorities, that's the club to say, right, OK, we're going to police. And, you know, when, when an object is thrown or there is disturbance, I want to see about a line of about 20 policemen come and just stand there to support the stewards. But we know that at many grounds, there's a couple of coppers on duty, that's all. It's very, very difficult. Certainly not going to encourage more to take up refereeing either, these sort of incidents. Uh, I should just bring in uh, our Australian correspondent, Doug, who's got back in touch with the programme. Hello at seenthemgiven.co.uk is where you can email us through the week. Uh, Doug's saying, I was hearing about the registration numbers for the upcoming season in Queensland uh, due to start next month. Normally, our expected enrolment by the end of January is in the region of 500. To date, it's only 120 that have registered. Uh, it seems like a trend happening in the UK is happening here as well. These are worrying times, Keith, I think. 
I think for the game, um, I don't know the cost of registration in Queensland. I, I'm in touch with Queensland through Ted Kearney, who was a, a really well-known referee coach in that area and has done great jobs with, with referees, bringing referees across, as I've talked about it before. Uh, working with, you know, Gerard Gillett and Chris Beat now is the number one referee. Um, they've got quite a good structure in, in Australia and it's it's a lovely part of the world, uh, Queensland. So I'm saddened by that because as a young lad, when I took up the whistle in 1960, again, I reiterate, little did I think that I would meet royalty, that I'd meet presidents of the country, that I would visit one over a hundred countries around the world. That was through dedication and effort, but that's open to everybody. You know, that there's, if you go out on the football field and you show uh, endeavor and you work hard and it is a roller coaster, you know, it, you're dealing with a game that isn't, legislated it's legislated through laws but the players themselves are human beings and they behave in deaf ways and you've got to cope with that and so it's a challenge but for me it's a challenge worth taking i mean here in england the numbers are really down and it's a real concern it's not only a lack of recruitment but it's retention that's also the problem and we don't have a true picture and and i'm not so sure that this is tracked by the FA. The FA have taken funding away from referee. And, you know, it's a source of the, the county FA referees because they issue the yellow cards and the red cards and, and disciplinary matters. And that's where a lot of the funding comes from, <laughs> from the county <laughs> FAs locally, daft as it sounds. Yeah, I see the punishments that are, are being handed out in my position as president of North East Counties, North, North East Counties League. And um, I think what's interesting is I do see some players getting signed up, one for assaults and for misdemeanours. So I think the FA's punishment re- regime is, quite, is there. I think that structure is there to punish. Um, I think what's worrying is the recruitment. Um, and the recruitment is... Oh, one, they're attracting the right people. But you know, like if you wanted to take up refereeing tomorrow, it's going to cost you 140 quid. You're going to have to give up at least one weekend. Um, and, and you're going to have to pass a test. And then if you pass that test, you're going to get a kit and you're going to have to buy it. And that's going to cost you another lump of money. And then you have a couple of weeks and you say, don't like it and walk away. Is you know it's a lot. It's a big ask. So yeah. I think I think they have to go. The FA have to run a a period of one to two years where they don't charge any fees whatsoever. Uh, I think there needs to be, you know, we had the referees association. We've got it still, but it's 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 literally folding in areas across the country. You know, I was a regular visitor to Bury, a great crowd of people. Uh, they had a good social side, which I think is important. Not just the learning element, but, but actually being able to chat to your mate at the side of you and say, look, I had this problem on Saturday. What do you think? If I didn't want to go public to say I'd, I'd made a mistake. Discussion uh, is, is part of the education process. And, um, and I see 
lots of new referees being recruited in terms of those referees not becoming members of the Referees Association. And I wonder whether, in fact, the Referees Association has, has maintained, if you like, the forward movement of what is required. Mm. And I wonder as well whether, you know, that that is something that might, be able to happen again once the country starts to unlock, once we're well, able to meet more regularly in, in pubs and bars again and, and it not be such a, a big deal to do so, if you, if you know what I mean. I think it needs a new structure, Mike. I think it needs um, uh, more thinking in terms of meeting the requirements um, online through through Zoom meetings and, and also then meetings locally where discussion can take place look they're there they're just not being attended and referees probably don't real fully realize what support and help they can get but i also think one other thing and that is that we we have a society where uh, discipline is not as good as it used to be generally um and what the police are kitted with is the body cameras and the body cameras are there as a deterrent. And I, and I believe the authorities don't, and IFAB don't, FIFA don't believe. But, you know, there's, a, there's a, an organisation called Ref Support, um, and they believe very strongly that body cameras should be uh, allowed, should be introduced. And I, I agree with them. I, I agree that what we need to do is, is put that body camera on the referee if the governing body are unsure about it then just go out and purchase a hundred and run an experiment on a league for a period of time to get a feedback in terms of whether they are a deterrent or not mm. i'll be interested to see if that uh, if that ever happens um let's yeah. move on to some of the incidents from the championship this weekend then uh derby against birmingham was the game early on sunday uh, a bit of correspondence coming in from benjamin bloom keen efl watcher uh, you can find him on youtube uh, now wanted to talk about the incident in which perhaps derby county should have had a penalty uh, this is a shot that comes in from tom lawrence the ball heading towards goal it hits defender's hand then goes over the bar uh, now in Benjamin, when he got in touch, said, not deliberate, not a natural position, but clearly denial of an obvious goal, let alone goal-scoring opportunity. I've had a read of the laws, expecting to see something negating the normal handball criteria, like we have for if there's a handball leading to a goal by the attacking team, but I couldn't seem to find anything. What is the state of play here? Um, well, before we get into that, should we just take a look at the decision itself? Was yeah. this, in your opinion, a deliberate handball, Keith? And should Derby have had a penalty? You know what happens in football? Players will try to deceive the referee by trying to hide or cover up uh, the action that he's taking. And this player, he's got his right arm almost slightly out and down by his side. He's slightly turning and he's got his left arm up and his hand flat. And therefore, his hand might not be away from the body, but it's there for a reason. It's not there mm. for protection because, you know, that's up against the face usually. This is, in my opinion, a deliberate act by him. Uh, and this is where it's a judgment call by the match official. But he's achieved what he set out to achieve. He's deflected the ball. 
Now, the law, if, if you are certain that that action has stopped a definite goal, because that's what it has to be, mm. then in that situation, denial of an obvious goal is in fact a red card offence. Now, for me, I might, because of angles, I might have some doubt as to whether, in fact, this ball is actually going into the, into the back of the net. And there are covering defenders, uh, and then there's a goalkeeper who might have had an adjustment and saved. So you don't play God, but you have to play the what-ifs. And if you're going to issue a red card in that situation, you've got to be absolutely 100% certain. So for me, I'm certain about my decision that it's a penalty kick. I'm less certain that I would dismiss the player. But I really like this question because... Yeah, our listener has gone law. through the process. Yeah. Let's get into the law of this then. So had it been decided, and, and maybe in the case here, this is exactly what was decided, and let's assume it wasn't just not seen, um, that it wasn't a deliberate handball and it just hits the defender's arm, even though it's going towards goal and likely to go into the net, can you as a referee give anything for that? Well, you give a penalty kick. Even if it's not a deliberate handball? Well, uh, in that situation, I think it is deliberate. If it's not deliberate, that's that's part of play. Hmm. Um, and, of course, if it hits a, deliber- a defender in that situation, it, it, the play continues. So, for me, if it hits a defender's arm and goes into goal, it's a goal. That's the first thing. Hmm. Um, so, here... I, I am I am suggesting in this in the Derby County game that uh, Derby were unlucky not to have a penalty kick for this particular incident. Now, very early in this podcast, I used to try and persuade you to to change some of the laws with me, Keith. Can we do a little bit more role play in this particular exercise? So we've got in the game at the moment a goal cannot be scored with the hand, even if it's an accident. Well, that's an attacking. We... No, yeah, just exactly. a minute. That's okay. an attacking player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, can it be that a defender can essentially stop a goal being scored with the hand, even if it's not deliberate? Can that continue to be the case? Uh, is that not a contradiction in the law? Well, I'm, I'm quite. I'm asking here. I think the law is clear. I don't want to change where the ball accidentally hits a defender. There's no offence committed. Therefore, let's keep it that way. If the ball goes into the back of the net, the goal continues. The goal's allowed. So for me, I think this is different. You know, the the, the accidental handball by the attacker has really been brought in because of the grey areas of movement towards ball, did he deliberately handle all those sort of things? And they've gone, look, let's take the grey area out of it and say you cannot score a goal with your hand and arm. Mm. And, that, and, and that applies to the attacking player. I suppose the other controversial moment in this game uh, was the winner uh, scored uh, by Bielik. It's a, it's a wonderful overhead kick, acrobatic, uh, stylish, all the things that we like to see in the game. However, with my referee's hat on for a second, uh, this is an honorary hat, it's not actually a referee, but we all like to think we can referee the game, don't we, Keith? Um, 
is this an act of dangerous play? Because he appears to catch the Birmingham defender in the head with his boot in the act of scoring that spectacular goal. Well, let's talk about the build-up. This is a free kick Mm. from outside the, the penalty area. As the kick is played, a Derby County player is in an offside position. Right? We know that, in fact, there's two Derby County players in offside positions. And when the ball comes across, it's edited across, back across the goal by one of those players who now looks to be onside, but in fact, his starting position, when the ball was kicked, was offside. Mm. So that goal should not have been allowed. It should have been disallowed for offside. Now we go to this overhead kick. I would have expected John Brooks to be reasonably brave. He's got a good angle. and He's probably got a better angle than the one that I've seen. I think that boot is dangerous. We're seeing a number of them. It's very close to the opponent's head from the angle that we've got. Is the angle that John Brooks, Premier League referee, new Premier League referee, um, is he got... Uh, is he actually seeing a greater distance when he's looking flat on as against our view from an angle? Because what angles do is distort. Mm. So I'm getting, in that one, I'm giving the benefit of the doubt to, to referee John Brooks. On what I'm seeing, the video evidence that, that you've shown me, I would be blowing that uh, out. So, but I'm going back to the offside. Everybody says, Have you, what, what about the dangerous player? I've given offside. <laughs> you know, uh, and I think it, you don't it, need to worry it, about the subjective decision because the objective decision has sorted it out. Yeah, but I think that um, what it throws up here is, uh, I wonder, with all the the nonsense that exists in terms of VAR in the Premier League, and now it's 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 very being you know being poorly administered. I would wonder whether, in fact, that's going to delay the introduction into the Championship because that goal would have been ruled out by VAR, I'm certain of that. Mm, and, yeah, and no, you know, it, it, it puts another thought into my mind, and that is this weekend, with the Premier League having a, a break, um, good on them, um, not so good if you read social media, but they've had, a, they've had a break. You know, Newcastle player being dismissed out in Saudi for striking an opponent doesn't augur well, does it? In another You've got to country. try hard to get sent off in a friendly, haven't you, Keith? You have. Um, and, you know, okay, two players were sent off. Just got to be careful when, you, when you're representing your club overseas as a player. But I would have liked, if I was still the boss of the PGML, given what I'm seeing in terms of VAR and refereeing decisions so far this season, there's an awful lot of errors being made. Um, there's a lot of confusion exists between VAR and referee, however you look at it. I mean, I'm, I'm getting emails from, from around the world in terms of being very critical about the standards of officiating, you know, and I can't support and defend that position because I'm actually saying the same. I think if I was Mike Riley, I would have had those referees and VARs in. They wouldn't have been officiating this season, I mean, uh, this weekend. Uh, and we would have been discussing the incidents so far this season and how we can resolve and be better after the break. And what is clear and obvious, because I talk to referees and some of them are pretty high up and they don't know what clear and obvious is because they're getting confused by what they're seeing on television. 
And it, it's this variable bar where one VAR considers this to be clear and obvious and another doesn't. We've got to get in through practice and practice comes through looking at videos and discussion. We've got to get a position where that bar is generally fixed so that we understand the public what is clear and obvious. And the other thing, it'll not come in, but again, I, I just hope that the authorities would open up the dialogue between referee and VAR. Can we hear what's been said? Given the Kevin Friend, Craig Pawson scenario, where even the spokesperson of the PGMOL, Dermot Gallagher, came out and said that Kevin Friend's original decision, which of course was not to award a penalty kick, but was interfered by VAR coming in, Craig Pawson saying he, he needs to look at the screen. And he took the 100% course of action that all referees do. They go to the screen and they say the VAR's right. Mm -hmm. So why did Kevin Friend, I would love to ask him, why did you change your mind? Are you under instruction from the PGMOL as a group of referees that when you go to that monitor, you stick with the VAR decision. Because I look at body language, I look at the, the speed at which they look at the screen. I sometimes have to look at that incident three or four times. Maybe I'm not as quick as them, but three or four is sometimes one. They look at it once and I'm going, I want more than a single view to actually change a decision that says, with my own eyes, I wasn't awarding the penalty kick, but now I am. Well, it would be interesting to see what changes we see over the next couple of weeks. Of course, the FA Cup returns next weekend in the Premier League uh, in the midweek afterwards. Um, one of the things that happened on Friday night, Huddersfield-Stoke, there was a, well, a few um Interesting decisions. Josh Caroma with the challenge on Taylor Harwood Bellis. Again, we'll leave a, a link in the show notes so you can see this yourself if you haven't seen it. But um, no sanction. Josh Caroma goes on to score in the game. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm not uh, particularly convinced you were that happy with this one, Keith. I'm I'm I just I'm appalled by it. You know, look, I can I can criticize Gavin Ward here because ultimately he's the referee. Where's the assistant referee? Where's the fourth official? Why, why aren't his colleagues on the field of play looking at the game and they're being given in the laws of the game the authority to assist the referee? That's why they're called assistant referees, not linesmen anymore. This was an awful challenge. And, um, I mean, it was red card from the minute he launched himself. He, you know, he went for the player. I think this is unacceptable, and I think it's unacceptable. And I think it's interesting, you know, the difference here, because last weekend, uh, a player in Scotland in the Alloa game against Celtic was dismissed. Uh, sorry, he was given a yellow card. And I supported that decision because the referee was in a good position I don't think it was reckless. The player, however, at the end of the challenge, was injured. But, you know, the, the player went in, he was low, and it was a reckless challenge, 
in-law for which he received a, a yellow card. And I supported the yellow card. And I think it's interesting because Scotland have a panel of three that reviewed that decision. And I was surprised that they carried out a suspension. Mm. So they, they changed the yellow to a red. They, in effect, re-refereed the game. And I, I would suggest, whilst I'm not totally in favour, I'm, I'm happy about um, acts of simulation. Uh, but here I would suggest that I doubt whether the panel's got it right. and I, But I think in terms of this decision at Huddersfield that wasn't given, where a player should have been sent off, maybe then the balance is that a panel should look at those and that player's got away with it. Looks like he did. Um, well, given that we've had a chance to look at, at the Championship this week, one of the things I wanted to ask you, Keith, is... Um, after we saw in the summer, four referees get the call up into the elite group, into the um, list one, essentially, of, of uh, referees in the uh, PGMOL who get to referee Premier League games. Are there any championship referees at the moment who you think might be being looked at to make the step up at this at this stage? Well, there are two referees that sit outside because the championship is, is termed SG2, which is... In effect, they're almost professional, uh, and they're the they're the group that actually go on for promotion. I think I've I, I think there's two referees I think that come from this area. Believe it or not, uh, Tom Bramall, I've seen on on more than one occasion. Uh, he man manages extremely well. He doesn't shirk the big decisions. He's firm, uh, and he's always in control. So Tom Bramall for me. He's a potential star of the future. And there's another uh, referee, James Bell, who, again, from this, uh, this, this part of the world, uh, puts a great deal of thought and effort into his refereeing. Still strongly connected with grassroots football. Um, and I think those two are ones that I would seriously bring in and then keep them away from the current coaching group that I have no confidence in at the Premier League, former colleagues that I don't think is doing a good job. And I would give them a coach each, former referee, and I'd say, right, okay, a top referee, and I'd say, right, okay, I want you to coach this individual and bring this individual on. And those two are ones that I see for the future. And, and in terms of that promotion process... How does it go about? How how does it work? Um, at the level of scrutiny that has to go into you know these sorts of decisions and and making that step up as as a referee, um, because I I think most people won't be familiar with how this this process <laughs> actually operates, Keith. Well, ah, oh, I look to the stars. Um, let me tell you, when I recruited, I had a very clear picture of assessors marks. Club marks, video analysis through Prozone, um, fitness assessments and reports from my sports scientist on, on the individuals. So they had quite a, a hoop. Given that when they came on, when I promoted the likes of Howard Webb and Mark Clattenberg and Mark Elsey, we knew that they had a foundation that was going to spring, springboard them uh, to higher levels of performance. So you create it 
further down the chain. I also took £200,000 of the sponsorship money that I'd negotiated and gave that to the FA so that in the Conference League, there was a 100% assessment scheme because it wasn't at that time. And we paid for that. And that enabled me to track referees in order to have what was a very clear succession plan. Mm. So when I see referees that get promoted that have not fulfilled anywhere near the potential that you would expect, and I see performances that are not up to the standard of Premier League, then I I think they're doing it on the flip of a coin. Um, You know, I'm not critical of it because those hoops that need someone to go through, you know, um, a lifestyle change, they look athletic, they're capable of meeting the fitness requirements, not just the fit, you know, look, anybody can train to pass a fitness test at the beginning of the season. This is about application. This is a measurement of a referee's performance, not only from a technical point of view, in terms of decision-making accuracy, it's the interpersonal relationship that he has with his colleagues, how he deals with them, how he manages them, how he manages players' conflict. And and generally, you're feeding all the information in. Um, you know, I mean, I, I look at, I look at Simon Hooper and I say to myself, he's not a Premier League referee. I think he might be a good championship referee, not a Premier League referee. And and then I don't see the, if you like, the, the churn that is required in order to maintain alertness and effort out of the referees. And, and I've talked about this tale in the Premier League before, the PGMOL. You know, we've got, we've got Mariner, Atkinson, Dean, Scott, all over the age of 50, who are the potential referees that are going to replace them? Because those that you would expect to actually come in and replace them, the, the Craig Porsons, the Chris Cavanas, are not performing as well as they should be. I'm really interested in the word churn um, because uh, this is not just about refereeing. I guess it, it's it's in in all walks of of life. You know, any company might have a situation where the lowest performing members of staff are let go in order for new people to come into the the organisation. Um, there are different ways of working that, and you can I don't know, do a business management degree, I guess, to work it all out. But uh, as a general uh, rule that's that's something that some organizations do is their pgml ruthless enough then no i don't i don't think it is i think I, look a referee puts a long a lot of time into his his career uh, to get there so i think it's important that the selection process isn't the flip of a coin it's it's actually got a lot of data behind it you know people go and watch that referee you know, not just the boss, but others, and they they have the confidence. They see it over two or three years, the consistency of approach. You're quite right. If if in the career of a referee you stand still, you stop progression, then what happens? Any business that stands still regresses. And so, therefore, you know, in other countries, I can tell you that, um, you know, I mean... I was reading recently because we were questioning, I was discussing an African referee who had an indifferent performance um, suspended for a month publicly. Now, I'm not, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not particularly comfortable 
that that referee has been suspended for a month. But, you know, there are ways in which you can keep a referee um, and and drop him down into, you know, Division 1, Division 2, not being disrespectful to them. And supporters might say, we don't want that type of referee, but uh, he should be able to gather some form and get form back. Um, look, uh, there are at least five referees on the PGMOL that would not be there at the moment. It might, you know, comfortably wouldn't have been set on this season. It would have been released last season. Uh, and now that's getting towards eight. If, if anybody reads the Daily Telegraph or goes on their website, um, they will see that I uh, did a one to 20. And um, before, and I also mark referees out of 10. So if I, if I told you that the best referee in England, in my opinion, and others is Michael Oliver, he only got eight out of 10. And, and Anthony Taylor got seven and a half out of 10. And I think my third choice surprised a lot of people because I put Darren England because I see performances and potential and work rate and effort that says he needs rewarding and his reward should be greater games to gain greater and faster experience. Um, but down the list, you know, people like Mike Dean and, and Art Atkinson and others, five out of 10. Now, here's the rub, yeah. Mike. Let me, just, let me just highlight that because... A, f- a few years ago, before the Premier League, the Football League in a court of law outlined the fact that a referee had been taken off the list, Football League list, because he didn't achieve what they considered to be an average of 7.2 out of 10. So you see different measurements, different standards, mm. I know, and, and, and we can interject with it, but the reality is, the truth's got to be told. It's not. I ain't got a chip on my shoulder, but the one thing that you do in employment, and I've employed people, so if I have someone that's failing, not securing sales, right? This is a problem because it's a cost, and therefore, what you have to do then is you have to show that guy through extra training and supervision and apply a lot of effort to try and get that salesman back to selling and meeting the requirements of a budget in his area. If you Once you've done all that and he still doesn't succeed, then you say, come into my office, I'm releasing you. You're not, you're not meeting the criteria that we set out. So it has to be clearly spelled out. And, mm-hmm. and it is a business. It's a business that operates in a huge world of finance, um, millions of pounds off. I think a point in the Premier League is valued around about half a million. So you can understand when, you know, Dermot Gallagher, who I criticise because he is, you know, he's a spokesperson of the PJMOL and has to do and say what Mike Riley says. When he comes out and says that was the incorrect decision, at least they've admitted one. And if you go on to ESPN website, you'll see that they list all the, the VAR errors. Not me, not Keith Hackett doing it, as a, the guy who's allegedly got a chip on his shoulder. It's hugely disappointing when I'm getting correspondence 
from other countries telling me that they think this referee's performance is poor. You know, there's a colleague out in America who's who's a Liverpoolian, believe it or not, but at an early age, he went to America, became a professor of mathematics. Uh, I refereed with him in the uh, uh, World Youth Cup in Mexico City, and then uh, at the Olympic Games, and I think then he, he went on to a World Cup finals. And he sent me, a, I'm, I'm not sharing his email, but um, he's, he's a Liverpool fan. And, and he was saying last week, he'd, he'd listened to what we'd said, he'd listened to this show and, and, and said, look, he'd have been harder than me. Because <laughs> he's saying, I'm a Liverpool fan and Jota didn't do anything and it shouldn't have been a penalty kick. So I'm not justifying what we're saying and doing, it's other people that are doing it now. And, and I think that's sad when we... We did have a cadre of world-class players, uh, referees, and, you know, we have got the best competition in the world. I think that are we going to move to a position where our referees aren't good enough and we then have to consider bringing other European top referees to, to manage the games? I hope not. But well, it's I mean, just to, just to come back to that, because, I mean, you've talked about there being, you know, maybe five, as many as eight, referees in the Premier League who aren't up to the standard that you would re- see as acceptable at the moment. And yet early we spoke to about about referees in the championship who could make the step up. And you told me about two. Now, maybe there are more that, that there are that, that could make the step up. But then it, it seems like there are quite a few difficult choices at the moment about who sticks around when, in theory, because you need enough referees to referee the games, but in theory, they're not going to cut it really. You know, uh, let me give you an insight. When, when at a weekend we we had a major incident error by a referee, I can tell you that there was a discussion invariably between myself and Richard Scudamore, the CEO of of the, of the Premier League, and of course the director of the PGMOL, wanting to know how an error could be made, and and we had usually had one in every ten games at a weekend. Um, I just don't think is that interrogation takes place anymore. I, I find it difficult that the PGML board that now spends 22 million, do they know anything about referee? Do they actually know anything about the game? Have they played the game? I think there's too many administrators and not enough people that have either played the game at the very highest level or refereed at the very highest level to actually analyze what is being delivered. I think there's a, a load of figures being put on a board and they're being convinced that the figures of what they're being seen is a, is a smoke screen because they need to go and stand alongside some of the fans in the stadium or, or even come to Meadow Hall and join me and, uh, and walk around with me at Meadow Hall and listen to the comments of, of fans <laughs> about ref, refereeing. Look, Referees can be their aunt, Sally. Um, I want to see refereeing improve. I think we've got referees that are, you know, Michael Oliver, I talk highly about because all all they have to do is to say, right, okay, he's the standard at the moment. Taylor alongside him. We want the rest 
if you like, the other 18 or 19 referees, somewhere close to that standard. And if they're not, something's not wrong, right. And therefore, I think that they've got to get into a position where the delivery of performance has to improve. And and I, I suspect that, you know, managers don't say what they say anymore because they get fined and suspended. You know, they get fined more than suspended. They, they, they get a letter. And, and they just say, right, here's another five grand or eight grand or whatever. You know, we saw the Brentford manager last week get a, a, a yellow and then another yellow. Yeah, he did it publicly and I criticised him for that, but he's not a one to moan. I didn't see him as a moaning manager. He was bemused by what he'd seen in front of him. Well, let's see if anyone's going to be amused next week when the FA Cup returns. Keith, as always, fascinating discussion. I'd love, actually, uh, since you've nominated a couple of referees from the Championship that you think could make the step up, if you're listening and you think you've seen some of the names that we should be talking about, people with potential, love to hear your suggestions. Hello at seenthemgiven.co.uk is where you can get in touch with the show about that or indeed anything else we've discussed or incidents through the week you'd like us to talk about. Um, if you've uh, followed the podcast, if you subscribe to us, thank you very much for doing that. Uh, leave us a rating, leave us a review, wherever it is uh, you get your podcasts and it will help other people discover the show as well. And and tell people about it because it does help build the community here and we'll keep enhancing the discussion as weeks go along. But for now, Keith, thanks so much for your company. Pleasure, Mike. And we will see you next time.